Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the City of Alameda Commission on Persons with Disabilities meeting. It's Wednesday, December 13th, and we will start by taking roll call. Uh, Commissioner Bonsmith? Here. Commissioner Schmitz? Here. Commissioner Boogie? Here. Commissioner Hall? Here. And Commissioner Mullings? Here. On the phone or Zoom. Great. Perfect. <laughs> For the record. Um, Wonderful, thank you so much. And then we have Commissioner Roloff will be joining us soon. So that is a quorum and we will get started. Uh, our next item is non-agenda public comment and I don't have any speaker slips and I don't see any comments. Do we have anybody on Zoom who'd like to comment? Okay, seeing none, we'll close that session. Three, we don't have any minutes to report back out. And four, we'll move on to our regular agenda items. Our first item is to receive an update and provide input on the Developing Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA, Self-Evaluation and Transition Plan. And we have uh, the City of Alameda's Public Works Director, Aaron Smith, joining us. And take it away, Ms. Smith. Uh, good evening, Commissioners. Um, as Sarah said, I'm Aaron Smith. I'm the City's Public Works Director. Nice to be here with you this evening. Um, also with me is Mike Billington, our Facilities Manager, and we have um, two of our ADA experts from Bureau Veritas who has helped us with this effort. Um, Justin and Mike will, um, will tag team parts of this presentation and then we'll all be available for um, discussion. Okay, so I'm gonna do a little intro and then allow Mike and Justin to go over um, the accessibility regulations and standards and that which is kind of governing this important work that we're doing. Um, I'll then go over the findings of our self-evaluation. Um, we'll look at the planning process, where we are within that, and ultimately uh, move towards discussion around a transition plan. Um, and then the most important part um, tonight is that we hear from you. We've made um, a lot of proposals uh, in the staff report, and so certainly are seeking some input. Um, so with that, I'm gonna pass things off first to Mike from Bureau Veritas and Bureau Veritas. We brought them on board about a year ago, specifically for this expert. They're um, a global firm that, um, who has expertise um, in, in, in accessibility. Uh, good evening, commissioners. Uh, my name is Mike Conniff. I'm with uh, Bureau Veritas, as Aaron mentioned. Um, and we're gonna go through a little bit of history uh, on the ADA, um, the requirements of a Title II self-evaluation and transition plan, um, what it is, the different components. Um, go to the next slide here. And the other regulations um, that are enforceable. Uh, so at its core, uh, the ADA is a, a civil rights law um, that prohibits discrimination um, based on a disability. Um, and what, that, that's the governing part of it. Um, and from there, we'll step into the, the different regulations, uh, CBC Chapter 11B or California Accessibility Code, uh, the ADA 2010 standards, uh, we'll talk a little bit about program access requirements, which are an important part of Title II. Uh, Justin will give a little bit of an explanation. Um, the ADA is divided into five different titles. Uh, we're specifically looking at Title II, which is state and local government. Um, and within that, that's really what's driving this process. Um, that is 
the requirement for the Title II entity, in this case, the city of Alameda, to have um, this self-evaluation and transition plan in place. Um, so we've looked at policies and programs. We've looked at the built environment uh, with facilities and parks and also the public right away. And with that, I will turn it over to my colleague, uh, Justin Vang. Uh, Justin is a, a certified access specialist and one of our program managers. Um, has been involved with this program since the beginning as well and can speak about this in some detail. So appreciate it. Good evening, commissioners. Uh, my name is Justin Vang. I'm a project manager for Verva Veritas. So the ADA um, was um, is a civil rights law that was signed into law in 1990. Um, the purpose of the ADA is to provide people with disabilities and equal opportunity in all aspects of civic life. And the ADA is divided into five titles. Title I deals with employment. Title II um, covers all activities uh, provided by any public entities, including the, the city. Title III covers uh, public accommodations such as restaurants, movie theaters, zoos, etc. Title IV deals with uh, telecommunication. It requires all television and um, internet companies to develop a nationwide system that allows um, people with um, hearing disabilities and speech disabilities to communicate. Title V is miscellaneous provision. It, it has a lot of provisions that are, um, that speaks to the ADA, ADA in general, including um, just um, insurances and um, benefits and also clauses about um, coercion and retaliations. I'm gonna go to the next slide. Oh, that was quick, sorry. Yes, so um, one way that a um, person with disabilities can be um, discriminated against is by um, the built environment. So the ADA established um, some provisions speaking towards accessibility design in 1991 called the um, ADAG, which stands for Accessibility Guidelines. And in 2004, the ADAG was revised to include more elements and locations such as um, including provisions on recreation facilities such as play areas, miniature golf areas, um, bowling alleys. And then in 2012, or in 2010, the, um, the ADA was revised again for Title II and Title III revisions, which uh, developed the 2010 standards, which requires um, all new construction built after 2012 to comply with the um, 2010 ADA standards. And in addition to um, the federal, federal minimum standards, um, California also has um, their own regulations uh, about accessibility in um, the California Building Code Chapter 11B, which is, has a lot of provisions that are more stringent than the ADA. So the um, standards are very thorough and robust. Uh, it, has, um, it has very detailed requirements in, um, in parking lots requiring accessible parkings, um, requiring accessible routes to be to be um, accessible to people with disabilities, including uh, adding curb ramps, um, making sure restrooms have a, a um, 
wheelchair accessible toilet, making sure recreation areas such as playgrounds have a um, transfer platform for a person in a wheelchair to maneuver the um, play structure. Yes, so under Title II of the ADA, a public entity or agency such as the city is required to make their programs accessible. So this does not require each and every facility to be accessible, but rather a holistic look at a program to make sure that uh, when viewed in its entirety, the uh, program is accessible. So one way to look at this is um, making sure that unique programs and facilities are accessible and any uh, recurring programs that are um, provided in multiple facilities that um, those facilities are accessible. And with that, I'll give this um, back to Erin. Um, Thank you. So that's a lot to look at and make sure that we are complying with. Um, so here's the results of our um, self-evaluation. So again, the three components, we're looking at programs and services. We're looking at our buildings, so our facilities, and then the right of way. Um, so for programs and services, um, I believe exhibit one of your staff report this evening had um, a draft of the findings and recommendations. Um, and just this list here shows the uh, broad spectrum of types of programs and services that the self-evaluation looks at. Uh, Community-based programs and activities are things such as like city-sponsored or hosted events, as well as our a variety of recreation programs. Um, while the city itself is not a housing provider, we are a resource for affordable and senior um, housing. We also have a rent program, so the review was making to making sure that the resources that we offer are accessible. Um, the next two really um, um, have to do with the city as an employer, looking at internal policies and procedures to make sure we're not doing any forms of discrimination for the hiring, firing, promotion, um, et cetera. Um, the next three, the ADA coordinator, public notice of ADA, and the grievance procedures are all really centered around ensuring that the city has a designated resource um, to be responsive to ADA complaints or grievances, that we clearly message that out so people know where and who to go to, um, and that, <clears throat> excuse me, we have transparency around what, that, what to expect in our grievance procedure. Um, effective communication, so we're required to be sure that communications with persons with disability are just as effective as, as those with not. Um, we typically achieve that through aids um, and services. Um, and so this, this aspect is looking at things such as, you know, our meeting this evening, council meetings. It's also looking at, at website as well. Um, and then, of course, we need to ensure that our emergency management and communication system are accessible, whether that means calling 911 or being sheltered after a, a disaster. Um, so again, the findings and recommendations are in exhibit one. I would say the overarching um, themes in the recommendations are to have documented policies and procedures. So um, the city does a lot, um, not all um, things. There are some program deficiencies identified, but even with a lot that we are doing, much of it is not documented in policies and procedures. And um, it's good reason to have them for multiple things. One, consistency in service provision and um, turnover in staff to make sure knowledge base is transferred you know, down and um, transparency for the person with disabilities so that they know what to expect from the city. Um, <clears throat> so we looked at 51 city-owned facilities from our city halls, parks and rec centers, Mastic Senior Center, et cetera. There's the entirety of the list um, is also an exhibit um, in your staff report. Um, 
and let me see what's the next slide, yeah. So in, for each of those facilities, a Bureau Veritas subject matter expert went out um, and a very detailed site-specific report for each 51 facilities is on file and available upon request. Um, but in summary, um, we identified over you know, 2,600 accessibility barriers. Those are things like Justin had mentioned from sufficient number of ADA parking, the width of the parking, the slope of the parking, the route, the width of the sidewalk between the parking to the building, once you're in the bathroom, are the rails at the right level, the um, uh, paper towel dispensers, um, water fountains, et cetera. And so each of those types of things is categorized as an amenity. Um, and then those amenities are prioritized. And you can see here there's five levels of priority with those related to parking, the accessible routes, and entrance into the public facility as number one. And in parentheses is the actual number of the barriers identified within each of those categories. Priority two is that accessible route, so from parking to the facility. Um, and then priority level three, restrooms, associated elements, and on down. So again, this is a very high level summary data, data table. We have all of this information in, in a database as well as detailed pictures and um, other various uh, elements for each of those accessibility barriers at the facilities. Um, and then we looked at the right of way, and in the right of way, we looked at over 220 miles of sidewalk, um, over 2,400 of curb ramps, and um, I called signalized crossings or traffic control points, so essentially where a pedestrian would, would cross um, at a signalized intersection. Um, so Bureau Veritas, again, has subject matter experts that go out. They have some pretty snazzy-looking equipment that they use that gathers a number of different data points um, related to each of, of these uh, facilities. Um, and so it's a lot of data, as you can imagine. Um, luckily, we have the ability to manage that data in what's called a GIS, or it's like a, a spatial mapping. Um, and so this, again, is high-level summary data. Um, we can look at any individual thing measured or to help kind of summarize the data and help us prioritize we have scores or, or indexes that help us um, look at the data kind of at a, at a meta level. So for curb ramps, um, we have a score zero to five, five being compliant or nearly compliant, zero being very much needs attention, and then we have missing ramps. So we have 86 ramps um, that don't exist where they should exist. Um, and then you can see the percentages, you know, just over 5% pretty urgently needing attention and then 50, about 57% right in the middle, meaning they have some uh, barriers to accessibility. And then you'll see the ones in green are those that were probably fairly recently installed as part of our paving program. For the sidewalks, the data is 10-foot uh, segments. So for each 10-foot segment, um, things such as changes in level, so like a tripping hazard, your running slope, your cross slope, um, clearance width and height, all of those things are looked at. And we can put all that data together into what's called an accessibility index. Um, and then similar kind of red being needs attention, green being um, fewer barriers to accessibility. You can see how um, the data lays out with there being, again, those are 10-foot segments, so a decent amount of sidewalk sections that um, certainly have barriers to accessibility. Um, 
the traffic control points or signalized intersections, so really the main things that the self-evaluation looks at is if the, the pedestrian signal head, so that's the sign, the hand with the person, and then the countdown, so whether one exists. Um, and then also whether the accessible, the push button, or what's called an accessible pedestrian um, signal, the push button, is there. And if it's there, does it have an audible tone? Um, and if the pedestrian signal is there, does it actually have the countdown display? So those are the things that we looked at, and you can see of the 600 um, crossings that we have, we do have some deficiencies, um, those included here. I will acknowledge that the 254 pedestrian signals without audible tone, there had been a period of time where a lot of the audible tones were turned off given um, adjacent residential complaints, but we're working to find another manufacturer that allows us to tone down. Um, the audible tone. So I know that number looks big, but that we do have accessible pedestrian signals there. It's just turned off. Um, okay, so that's a lot of information, and what do we do with it all? Um, and so we're here tonight, um, which is part of our planning, very important part of our planning process. Um, ultimately, where we want to go is what's called a transition plan. So the self-evaluation is the review and all the findings, and then the transition plan um, is in essence a, a prioritized um, approach in our map to compliance since um, we can't address everything all at once. Um, so how are we going to prioritize where uh, we need to go? Um, this is just a nice visual of the process we're moving through. So um, you know we've performed the self-evaluation in the right-of-way programs and at our facilities over the last six months or so. Um, we've initiated the transition planning, I'd say, when we started our public outreach, which the survey was launched sometime back in October. Um, here tonight, yeah, I'm gathering feedback and, and further public input. Um, and tonight, really, the staff report is where we've made a first proposal, at least, um, at um, a prioritization for the transition plan. Um, I want to make a note of the word living transition plan. We'll touch base a little bit more on that at the end. but. Um, we are looking to have that document be a living document. Um, okay, so public input, we launched um, a survey back in October. It was out for six weeks, I believe. Um, it had 24 questions, primarily geared towards better understanding where the community is actually experiencing these barriers um, and their thoughts on how they would go about prioritizing uh, barrier removal. Um, we had 250 survey responses. Um, in one of your exhibits to the staff report, it's very long, but we wanted to put it all together, are the results of that. So all the answers, it's a lot easier when it's just yes or no, but a lot of the um, questions had comments, and so we have all that in there so um, that it's made available. Um, we have used that already um, to inform um, our initial proposal for prioritization. Um, and I think I can show on the next map an example of how we're doing that. So one of the questions we asked was, which facilities um, do you frequent the most? So the one on the left um, shows Lincoln Park. So we had originally just had Washington Park as that most frequented um, and in phase one. And in seeing this, we certainly see Lincoln Park and Gene Sweeney. So you'll see in our prioritization phasing that we propose, we have moved some of these um, facilities up to phase one and moved back um, City Hall West. As you'll see on the right, we had asked, hey, what's the most important 
category of facilities to prioritize, and you'll see community and rec centers rank far above the others. Um, so again, just an example of how we used that survey information to um, inform our prioritization. So here it is. Um, it's also in your staff report. Um, what we are proposing are phases, um, and in those phases, each phase would be coincident with our two-year budget process. Um, so what we looked at, um, in addition to the public input received to date, is um, usage of the facilities, uh, the number of amenities offered. Um, what else did we look at? Uh, I think that was mostly it. Um, pot, though, the population served by the amenities offered. So you'll see, in total, it's close to about $6 million in current construction dollars, so make sure that's clear. So the obviously, the longer we take to do it, you know, construction costs continue to go up, but that, that's a, a reality that we're up against. Um, so two main things that we look at in kind of sizing of the phases is um, cost um, and then staffing resources. So we have our amazing facilities manager here with us this evening, and then he has two staff members. Um, so we just want to be cognizant of what we can sign up and commit to, hence the size of the phasing. You'll see we have front-loaded um, the work, a lot of the work um, to the front, but you know, here, here it is. This is really the, the guts of what we're hoping to have some input on. Do we have this right? Do we not have this right? Where do we want to move things? How else do we want to prioritize? Um, sorry, that should have been up there. Okay, so in the public right away, we talked about, um, I think it's, it's well, it's not obvious, but it's, it was clear to me that we should, for the curb ramps, we definitely want to prioritize those where they're missing, right? Because that's clearly um, uh, a barrier. And then um, next level of priority, we would focus from worst to best. Um, we address curb ramps already with our pavement management program. Um, we currently do not have a separate curb ramp program. Um, but uh, with this new information, we are looking at considering maybe carving out um, curb ramps and having curb ramps in addition to our paving program have a separate program that is just doing curb ramps. Um, and then looking at the uh, pedestrian crossings, I think our first priority would be those that are missing the facilities and then look to those that have the facilities but require additional um, adjustment. Sidewalks is very nuanced, and um, so I'll take a few minutes to talk about, about it now, but streets and highway code actually requires the adjacent property owners responsible for the sidewalk fronting their property. The city has had a long-standing practice of repairing sidewalk um, disrepair caused by street trees. Um, so much of the data that we receive for sidewalks, um, a lot of that is property owner responsibility. So um, we are uh, already planning to, and hopefully in the spring, going to have a working session with our city council um, to take a look at the structure um, of our sidewalk program and look at ways to possibly reduce um, the challenges of having property owners execute the work from cost, finding a contractor, permitting, there's a lot. Um, different ideas we'll be exploring are having the city doing the work. Obviously, that 
comes with cost, or can we offer access to a city contractor to the adjacent property owner? Can we do the work and bill the property owner? So we've, we're actively doing research for other agencies and we'll be presenting that to council. Um, and then the outcome of that, I think, will really help inform how we address um, the multitude of sidewalk issues um, addressed in the sidewalk um, data that we received as part of this assessment. Okay, so next step. So um, feedback tonight from the commission. Um, as you can tell, we haven't actually prepared the draft plan yet. We wanted to kind of get all the, the parts and pieces out. Um, so our next step will be to incorporate feedback um, that we've received, prepare a draft plan, um, look to taking the draft plan to the Recreation and Parks and Library um, Commission, and then ultimately coming back to this commission with a final draft plan, seeking your endorsement before we go to council. Um, and then once we have an approved transition plan, um, the idea is to have that be a very active living document. So we're removing barriers, we're updating the plan, we're coming to the commission very regularly presenting um, on that update. So that's our bigger picture plan um, for, for ultimately, once we have the transition plan, it is not going to be a plan that sits on a shelf. It is going to be actively implemented and updated. And that concludes my presentation. So I, as well as Bureau Veritas and, and Mike, our facilities manager, are, are available for questions and discussion and all ears for feedback. Thank you. James, um, should we be having something on the screen since we have our commissioner off-site? Okay, thank you. All right, we can get started with discussion. Um, if we'd like to just kind of go down the line. Um, if, does anybody want to, Commissioner Hall, do you want to start? Great, um, thank you. Thank you for your presentation. Um, I actually attended um, the Pacific Region ADA Update Conference this in August, and it was a two-part um, conference. Uh, you could, you know, choose which um, information you wanted to hear, and most of the classes were one, but because this was so entailed, it was, um, I attended both of them, and it was the, all about the ADA standards for accessible design. And it was um, a most wonderful man, um, Don Ridsdell, from the U.S. Access Board. And the, as the commission knows, I kind of was blown away by everything I learned. And as you said, it is an unbelievable amount of information. So I really appreciate what our city is trying to do. Um, obviously, we need to do a lot of work. And um, on so many things that I think many people never think about, like the access in the bathrooms or of course the curbs on the on the streets and um, you know so many things but it made me even as a commissioner so much more aware of the obstacles um, because of course everything costs a good deal of money and you always get um, pushback on certain things but I'm I'm very grateful that we are moving in the right direction for our city and um, 
and I appreciate that you're bring what you're bringing to us is this information and that you did the survey and that you will be forthcoming with the plan and and then coming back to us so we can be more knowledgeable about what we are giving um, the commissions basically um, okay to say yes we approve of this because oftentimes um, I feel that the commission we we um, support things but external forces um, usually involving money as in building and access and different things like that they, we the pushback comes so um, I'm, I'm really um, looking forward to what what you have more and um, enjoyed taking the survey like I said too and um, hopefully that we will be moving ahead um, I think there's a few uh, parts of what you said that were um, that were um, between three and four like the curb ramps that was over 57 percent I mean that's big that's a really big that's something we need to really look at um, obviously um, the simplest things that like a gentleman you know in the in the bathroom with the wheelchair and he can't reach you know the paper towels or something like that or or the blind access person and they go and they put a potted plant right in front of a, a walkway you know things like that that people don't even think about and um, so I'm I'm very glad that you're doing this and I appreciate your time thank you Commissioner Boogie um, thank you for the presentation Aaron um, and everyone um, I as well um, like Commissioner Lisa I think this is a great um, starting point of where we need to go and to be I did have a couple of questions with the 52 sites are, are there going to be additional sites that are going to be reviewed thank you for the question Commissioner mm -hmm. um, well if we um, hadn't overlooked a few things I would say we weren't going to be but um, we actually missed a few okay. <laughs> um, and so um, I don't know if you noticed, but our surface lots in our commercial districts weren't included. So we have the two in Park Street and then the one in Webster. So um, we are gonna have Bureau Veritas go back out and take a look at those to make sure we have a report for those. Um, and then um, we were just talking before this meeting and I think it's fine as we have budget, <laughs> to confirm we have budget, but there was a few facilities that were so new that we opted to not um, include them, but um, I think we might just still anyways, because um, as Commissioner Hall had mentioned, maybe somebody has altered something after and put something in an accessible route of some sort. So you may have noticed the seaplane ferry terminal is not in there. Um, and there's two other parks that we were like, they're new. Mm -hmm. So, but other than those, we weren't intended, th those are our public facility sites. So it's, okay. do you remember what the other ones? Yeah, it's seaplane and Oh, Bohole Circle, the Bohole Park. Mm -hmm. And I think there was one other one that we were like, oh, it was built in the last three years. Mm -hmm. But um, so those in the surface lots. Were there any sites you? No, I, okay. um, I had a kind of a question about the Jean Sweeney. I saw that was on phase one, but that also sparked my like, well, that's fairly new. Yeah. Um, so, you know, do you know exactly kind of what's happening in those newer areas? Because you would, you know, with them being new, that you would assume that we wouldn't have exactly. issues? Yeah. Um, I thought that too. Um, so it's only about $9,000 worth of barrier removal, which when I say that sounds like a lot, but I know I've been looking at way too many barrier removals, so that doesn't sound expensive at all to me. Mm -hmm. um, but that was mostly in response to the survey of like, oh, a lot of people go here. But if you looked at, I think one of the 
exhibits has like what each barrier is. A lot of what you're finding or what I'm finding is seeing is the slope of the ADA parking, the spot itself can only be two point something percent. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes even new construction stuff, it's like the slope is just off, like just enough. So I know that that's one of them at Gene Sweeney. I don't know if anybody here remembers what the other $9,000 are of at Gene Sweeney, but it's definitely in your exhibit and I can look it up when I sit down for you. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then I know you mentioned within the findings that like policies and procedures are one of the major things that need to be updated. What is the plan for that? Are we, are you, is city hiring somebody? Is facilities, how does that work? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, oftentimes the transition plan is pretty darn focused on the physical environment. So um, we do right now, I, assume the role of an ADA coordinator, because that's what we're supposed to have. Um, Public Works within the last bit has recently assumed kind of this function. So um, I'm only hesitating because I'm not committed, like we are gonna hire, um, whether that's a part-time um, ADA coordinator or a full-time, um, we're still exploring that. But um, either way, whether it's me or somebody we hire, Public Works, um, in our ADA coordinator role um, is gonna be convening an interdepartmental sort of process to begin to address the recommendations identified in the programmatic side. Going through the self-evaluation was a really good eye-opener for how um, decentralized our ADA programs are and that really needing to kind of have a centralized person mm -hmm. um, and that very likely will be somebody else that's called the ADA coordinator. Okay. I think that was, that's all I had. Commissioner Schmitz. Thank you for your presentation. It says to be exactly three inches from the mic. I don't know ex what exact is, so if I'm too loud, tell me. Um, I just had two questions. One is, you talked about the grievance procedure. What is the grievance procedure? I can, um, I think it's best that you hear what it should be, um, because <laughs> Right, because one of the things you'll see in our findings is we don't have that documented. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna let Justin ex share what it should be. Um, and then, because right now we, we have on our website, we have somebody can submit. We don't have a documented procedure for how we would do it. We have addressed grievances, meaning somebody comes and there's a specific issue, we will work to remove that barrier. That's kind of how it's done. but be quite frank, we don't have a defined policy and procedure. So I'll let Justin describe what that's supposed to look like. Okay, thank you. Hi, thank you for the question. So a grievance procedure is essentially a, um, a procedure that allows the uh, public to give their complaints for any uh, discrimination that they've experienced. So the grievance procedure should be posted um, in multiple areas, including uh, on the website or at facilities, just making sure that everyone knows exactly what the procedure is. The grievance procedure should include um, just um, how to, how to, um, I guess, um, formalize the complaint, including um, dates, time it happened, um, explicitly saying that uh, how many days will they get a response. So there's a lot of, um, I guess, um, I guess, um, opportunity to. Um, to be clear with the public exactly how to give their complaints. And also, it should also state that um, who to contact has in, in terms of the ADA coordinator. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I think that was pretty critical 
I mean, that's part of communicating what's going on in the city and, and the best people to do that are the people that live here, for sure. I would think that a lot of people are probably reporting that on C-Click Fix right now, and so I was curious if that is how we're getting most of them now. Um, surprisingly not. Um, not through, well, not noted as a formal ADA grievance. Uh, so okay. I just want to click. So we get a lot of sidewalk repair issues. Yeah, I bet. So um, those aren't being formally submitted as an ADA grievance. So on our website, though, the city website, we do say, hey, I'm the ADA coordinator. You can submit a grievance to me, email and phone, and we offer that. And so there's a that's a formal grievance procedure versus we, we do have a lot of uh, barriers that are identified in C-Click Fix. But. So the data could be skewed then because it's not formally put in as like an ADA Correct. related it's issue. Not submitted as a formal grievance. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and then you talked about the, um, I don't remember what you called it, so I apologize, but the uh, crosswalk audible. Mm -hmm. Like uh, accessible pedestrian signal. That, mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> um, so people, I was surprised to hear that you could get them turned off by living in that area. I think that's really interesting because I would think you would weigh the noise is bugging someone versus, well, this is somebody with a disability that needs to be able to use a public area. How, wh what determines whether we let the guy complaining? Yeah, we shouldn't. The audible tone should be on, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I was just acknowledging why that number seems so high. Yeah. I mean, usually if you install the signal, the signal's on. Right. So I was just acknowledging why that 254 seemed like a, a nearly a third of our accessible pedestrian signals. So. so in theory, that can be fixed pretty quick mm -hmm. just by flipping yeah. a switch. Um, I mean, sort of, kind of. Really. Yeah. yeah. But yes, okay. absolutely. Yes. And okay. we, we'd be able to execute that and actually already have started to under just our operations program. So it's not gonna take like a new program or a ton new funding. So we've, we'll implement that through our operations program. Okay, great. And then one last question, and I, I may have misunderstood this, but are there really only two facilities employees? Um, no, uh, you didn't misunderstand it. So we have Mike, who's a facilities manager, and then we have just uh, as part of this past budget cycle, two new project managers were approved, um, and then existing, we have another project manager that focuses on facilities. So right now, we have two. We are hiring two more. And so that's four people to execute projects. And then on the operations side, we have a supervisor um, and three maintenance staff members. Ah, okay. Okay, that's it, thank you. Yeah. Commissioner Thank Mullings. Thank you for that presentation. Can everyone hear me okay? Um, I had a couple questions and comments. Um, one of those, in reading through the staff report, there were a couple recommendations that discussed eliciting and getting feedback from people with disabilities on a couple different, uh, <clears throat> different programs, including communication, websites, and emergency management. Is there a formalized process to gather those people and elicit their opinions beyond the survey that was distributed? Yeah, 
So, yeah, I, and I think um, one of the first questions on the survey you'll see, um, we asked, are you a person with disability, a um, caretaker, just an interest? So we wanted to get that sense. Um, no, so that's why we're here tonight. Uh, we don't have a forum other than the survey, our um, community meeting that we did, and then um, obviously tapping into you know here and any sort of resources you guys can suggest for us. Okay, great. So will that be maybe part of the transition plan to further engage with yeah. that? Yeah, I think you'll see that is one of the recommendations would be to do that. So we're not currently doing that, but can look into figuring out how to have an actual group of persons with disabilities to work with on communications, et cetera. Great, thank you. Yeah. Um, and another question is, um, you know, there were 60 pages of great comments from community members. Yep. Are those comments currently integrated into the staff report in a, in a certain way? There was comments about like beach access that I didn't see reflected in the staff report. I'm just wondering how that process is gonna work. Sure, um, so for things like beach access, and you'll notice there was a lot of other things um, related to things not in the city's jurisdiction. Um, so what we were planning to do, and it's not in the staff report, was to pass those on to the responsible entity. So whether that's the park district, um, some of them really pertain to private um, facilities. So passing those on to the best that we can identify who the appropriate person is. Got it, okay, thank you. Um, and then I was just curious about your the current um, program for pavements that are owned by property owners. Is there, currently, is it just up to property owners to kind of notice a problem on their own initiative and fix it? Are there repercussions involved? How does that process work? You're talking for sidewalks or pavements? Sidewalks, sidewalks, yeah. Okay. Um, so this, well, there's, there's the law, um, which once the city has awareness of an issue, we are obligated to notify the property owner um, and of their responsibility to repair. Okay. Okay, thank you. Yeah. And we do notice them. And again, that's where the motivation is to have that working session with council um, is we know that's a challenge to all of a sudden get a notice that says you have thousands of dollars of sidewalk repair work to do. Mm -hmm. um, so um, again, looking to how do we make that exchange a little bit easier to be able to get more work done. Great. Um, and then I noticed when you were showing the, the five different groups of prioritized um, spaces in the built environment, that emergency management was in priority number five. My only concern is that you can't really predict when an emergency is going to happen. Um, and, and should we think about ways that we can take action on that sooner rather than later? If there are some of the identified needs about having um, emergency shelters be able to provide people with disabilities with generators and things like that to run life-saving equipment and store medicines and, and those kinds of things, mm -hmm. just because it's impossible to know when those resources might be needed. Can I ask a clarifying question to your question? So I just want to make sure I'm understanding your ask. So the we have like fire stations at in phase five. That's not what you're talking about. You're talking about in the findings of the of the program review. Or what I think in phase five it was it also said emergency management. So correct me if I'm wrong about that. Yeah, thank sure. you. 
Sorry, uh, thank you for the question. That's um, what I think, if I can find the slide, priority five was set for employee areas. Mm -hmm. um, and I can explain a little bit of that rationale. Um, employee spaces is typically, there's a known group of people that would frequent that space. And so that's the first part. There, there's obviously less public use typically. Um, and if we call it employee only, there's, there's limited or no public use. Um, but specifically, um, Title I of the ADA addresses employment. So how those can be addressed is if there's a, uh, an employee you know, who becomes disabled or needs an accommodation, they can make that request outside of the transition plan and that would you know, receive a, a priority right away. So um, if we need to, we can pull up the slide, but that is, I think what you saw is priority five, um, where the emergency management was part of the policy review and it wasn't prioritized in that way. So. Okay, thank you for the clarification. Of course. Um, and my um, last question is about the survey. Um, was that the response rate you were hoping to receive going into it? I can answer some of that and then maybe I'll ask Sarah. So um, if you ask Bureau Veritas, they think it's fantastic as compared to other agencies that they've worked with. But if you ask Sarah, um, Sarah is used to seeing a lot more engagement. Um, Mike and I as public works people don't do a lot of outreach, so looking to those that have more experience. So um, Sarah thought maybe we could have seen more, but I'm hearing from Bureau of Veritas they thought it was fantastic, so I'm not sure what to say about that. <laughs> I'll just add that I think that it was a pretty lengthy survey, and, it was, and you had to really be engaged in this subject to be really motivated to continue on in taking the survey. Uh, so, I mean, we see when we're talking about other projects where there's less questions and where they're much more general in nature, we might have thousands of people take those surveys. Um, so I was disappointed with the 250, but considering the, um, the comprehensive nature of the survey um, and the fact that people had to really kind of dive, dive deeper with this one, um, I think it does make sense. It, it'd be nice at some point if we were to have a, a briefer survey or just put it out there to folks that, hey, we're doing this and here's how you can share your quick one, two, three, something like that. Um, so maybe that's something we could do in the next step. And was the survey, is this a, the standardized survey format that um, you have used in other communities? Yes, we essentially took a template and modified it a bit to adapt to Alameda's purposes. Great, thank you. I think that's it. Thank you so much. Great. Commissioner Roloff? Okay. Yeah, it's always nice to go at the end because so many great questions were already asked. So thank you again. The only um, thought I had for the city is, you know, I know that these are city properties and the laws apply to the city, but of course, like, we're always um, interested and concerned that our citizens with disabilities have accessibility and access. Like, where are they going to go when they're in the road? And um, I know a while back, when we brought this up a couple years ago, we were offering facade grants to beautify your business, um, and then the city would match. And, and we brought it up, and I think, I don't know where it ever went, but if there's a possibility to consider um, ADA grants, so if a business owner's interested in making their business accessible, then we would match their funding or some kind of incentive. And I know that would um, 
have budget considerations, but. Um, we can certainly, we can talk about that with our economic development. I will say just as a point of experience, a couple weeks ago, I did have um, a business owner reach out to me just because as my name is the ADA coordinator, looking to see if there was ADA grants. Um, and I connected them with economic development who said, oh, we have a facade grant. And if you're doing a ramp, but also doing facade improvements that it could be an eligible project. So it sounds like baked within the facade grant, you could probably execute some ADA improvements and I can we can certainly explore that further with our economic development group. Okay, yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to see where the line is, you know, how much facade, yeah. of course, we want our community beautiful, but we want it accessible. So that would be the only additional comment I had. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. Thank you, and Commissioner Mullings. Thank you, and uh, thank you for the presentation. I apologize for not being there in person, um, but I did have a couple of follow-up questions after some really good um, exploration by fellow uh, commissioners. Um, one of them is just on the outreach um, aspect. Are we planning, like, it's, you know, to, to Sarah's point about how intense or comprehensive the survey was, are we acknowledging the responses we got? Some of these are very thorough, and I just want to make sure folks who took the time to weigh in with their, um, I don't want to say complaints, but feedback about, you know, accessibility issues. Are we, you know, even if it's not very detailed or specifically addressing their concern, just, you know, making sure they feel heard and that we are incorporating it into our, our thoughts and next steps? I think you, I think the question was, are we going to respond back? We we currently don't have plans. I'm not sure, does the email come submitted in the survey? Or is it anonymous? Yeah, I'd, we, That's a good point. Yeah. Good um, I, I'm not sure that we saw emails, at least in the data export that was provided to us. Yeah, I don't know that we did. What we can do though now, and it's a little after the fact, but we can create an ADA um, email listserv and then we can put that up on the ADA website and we can start to kind of put that together. And we can, when we reach back out, we can say that we're creating this new group and to please add yourself, even if you already took the survey, that kind of thing. So we can do that going forward. I think that would be good. I think, um, you know, part of what I'm wrestling with just in hearing the commentary about um, outreach and the challenges. And we've gone through this conversation, I think mostly with in, during the time I've been participating in commission meetings in terms of trans transportation and some adjustments to, you know, more accessible transportation options and trying to figure out how to reach the affected community and, and gather input before making decisions. So, you know, I feel like we've had, we've been down this road a little bit and just want to make the probably obvious point but that you know there aren't like particular pockets of people who are affected you know it's obviously like all of us you know some of us more than others so i just want to make sure that we're you know when we think of outreach we're thinking of it in a really like broad sense and so i think in the same way we cast the net wide to solicit survey respondents we also you know, maybe we just post wherever we posted the survey in the first place. We can, you know, maybe have a blanket statement acknowledging responses and, you know, just kind of keeping the community apprised of, you know, you've been, you know, we're taking them into consideration. It just encourages more participation. I like the idea of a listserv and um, just all those ways that we can just grow outreach for this, you know, the, the more affected or more interested 
parts of our community. I think it would be really helpful in driving good results going forward. Um, that was one thing. And then the other thing was, um, we've talked about a lot um, about the phase transition plan. It seems like, and I think you've commented about this as, you know, weighted heavily in terms of physical barriers. Um, and I hope I'm not overstating that, but it just, it seems like, you know, what's squarely within the city's purview is facilities that, you know, the, the, the city's responsible for and some of the other things are maybe a, a little bit um, more diffused, a little bit more difficult to figure out what we need to do, how best to go about doing it, who all is involved and so forth. And I'm just wondering, has the city or Bureau Veritas or other actors involved, have we thought about a maturity model type of approach where we have different tranches and different, we identify different milestones, different targets for certain um, phases, even, you know, even if they're very much aspirational at the beginning, you know, I just think that we have to be a little bit more, I and, and perhaps I'm missing this, and please feel free to correct me or point me to something in the findings or in the recommendations where I miss this, but, you know, understanding what it looks like to have an ADA coordinator, like what the scope is, what those policies are, when we expect them to happen, um, you know, it was already mentioned about the grievance procedure, things like that. It's just like, what is it, what's the timeline, what's the reasonable expectation to lay out? I can answer some of that. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. I can answer okay. some and then Thanks. definitely want to pass it on to Bureau Veritas, who has um, perspective across agencies and these sorts of things. But um, you aren't missing anything. I think um, that the findings and recommendations on the programs and um, services side, there isn't that timeline or that phasing. Um, so definitely something to think about um, and talk about. Uh, before maybe we do that, we can hear from Bureau Veritas and the handful of ADA transition plans that I've looked at, there are there is not um, that sort of timeline or milestones on the programs and services side. Certainly doesn't mean that there can't be, um, but so, so first you're not missing anything and then I'll let Bureau Veritas um, share a little bit more about what they know. Thank you for the question. Um, before I get into that, I actually wanted to go back quickly to your first question regarding input. There, there is another step that will occur. Um, what typically happens is once we have the draft transition plan that we're all in agreement with, we're happy with the phasing and the structure of it, that will typically be made available for public comment, uh, which we can advertise and you know, make sure people have a, another opportunity to, to make suggestions or comments on that. So I just wanted to, to point that out. Um, the, the second part regarding um, the phasing and the prioritization and scheduling, um, there's, a, there's a few ways. We, we can certainly look at you know, specific plan years uh, for barrier removal. Um, the phasing is intended to be flexible. Um, even as it maintains some structure. Uh, you saw that phase one was heavy in terms of dollar amounts, uh, but there's n nothing that um, specifically regulates that each phase take the same amount of time. So phase one may, may take you know, several more years than phase four. Uh, there's also no obligation or anything written that says that those phases can't slightly overlap. So if we're looking at um, 
you know, more severe barriers to accessibility in phase two before, you know, sort of the, the less severe stuff in phase one. That's perfectly acceptable and it, it's intended to be that way. Um, so regarding length of time, it's very common for transition plans to have a 10 or 15 or even 20 plus year time frame, and that's really just um, essentially comes down to budgeting. Um, there, there just may not be funds available to do it. Um, and, and so that's okay. I think the, the Department of Justice and the, the, the folks that oversee this process and, and kind of um, insert themselves when it may become an issue, they, they recognize that too. So for, um, for this to extend you know, 10 or 20 years is not uncommon. Um, I, I hope that starts to answer your question, but but you're right about the policies. There's there's typically because there's we don't associate a cost with that um, as a physical mm -hmm. barrier removal. It's something that's just I I think sort of um, intended to to take place you know within the the existing structure of the departments. That that's helpful, and I think you know what I what I would love to see or just would love to understand is just what are our goals, you know, for the, those other aspects, you know, within X period of time, you know, and it could be aspirational, it could be a target, it can be, you know, sorry, I, I can't help but leave my day job, like I'm a lawyer, it can be loosely worded, you know, it doesn't need to be, you know, we draw this line in the sand that like it just, it, it gets in the way of like, you know, meaningful progress, you know, because we're focused on what we, that line in the sand we put, you know, but just, I think it would be helpful to see for some of those other aspects of identified shortcomings, you know, beyond the physical barriers, which obviously I'm very much in support of rectifying as well, but just understanding, you know, what do we hope to have as our, our you know, state of affairs six months from now, a year from now, 24 months from now, whatever it is. And because I just think you have to plan for success in those ways and those things, they're just, they're overwhelming sometimes because, I, you know, a lot of times what I think about is like accessibility issues are kind of, I don't mean this, this is probably poorly worded, they're no one's problem and they're everyone's problem or they're everyone's opportunity, you know, to help influence and improve, but they can, you know, just, in, we're all, like, like you were talking about, when it's budget driven, you know, I think we are very regimented in how we approach that and how we, you know, define our goals. And I think when it's not necessarily as budget heavy we don't necessarily drive that discipline but i just think we would do ourselves a favor by setting some markers out there and again i, I don't want to make it be teaching to the test or you know like over engineering it but i think it would be helpful to really have some successes across the board okay yeah i, I agree i think that's something that we can work with erin and her team on um, to try to incorporate that it's been really educational i really appreciate all the work that's gone into this so thank you Thank you. All right. Um, any other comments before we close this item? Uh, Commissioner Hall. Yeah, I, I just want, had one more question. Um, back in 21, 2021, I was forward a uh, survey. I believe it was, I'm not 100% sure. I couldn't, uh, I tried to find my notes back from then, but it was from um, either City of Berkeley or County of Alameda, and it was about an ADA transition plan uh, survey. 
have, has your company um, like looked at other, I would figure you had like other cities, other counties and, and like the good and the bad and what you've gathered from them, what didn't work, what did work? Yeah, thank you for the question. Um, we actually do, um, we do look for those. Uh, transition plans are, are public records, so we have opportunity to, to look at different surveys, um, not just in California, but, but nationwide. Um, we've found that, um, I think Sarah mentioned it, there's, there's a sweet spot for the surveys. We want to get as much information as we can uh, without um, deterring people from taking the survey. Um, so we, we kind of, uh, when we include the public right away, we're, we're typically in that 14 to 20 question range, which I, I think um, is maybe pushing it a little bit. Um, so there's, there's always opportunity to kind of fine tune that and, and see, you know, look at ways to make it better. Um, we have, I think, probably five or six of these going on just now in California uh, currently. So we have those to look at. We have others that, you know, some competitors have done. So we, we do look at that. And they're, they're usually quite similar. Um, in terms of the, the content and the number of questions. Because, you know, Berkeley's kind of radical in a lot of ways, so I kind of was wondered how theirs went and all. Yeah, I, I really think, I, I believe they even may have two ADA coordinators, so they're, they're very much, um, you know, out in front of that. We, I wouldn't we, be surprised. <laughs> yeah, we don't, um, we haven't done work with Berkeley for ADA that I know of. Um, we did work with Napa. Um, a few years ago. Thank you. Thanks. Okay. Any other comments or questions before we close this item? Okay. Thank you very much, um, presenters. Um, I'd now like to invite uh, Carol up to the podium. She has a public comment, and we missed each other last time. So, Carol, come on up, please. Hello, commissioners. My name is Carol Gottstein. I'm a 60 plus year resident of Alameda, third generation homeowner, pre previous planning board member when Ralph Epizzotto was mayor. Um, am I, is there any other community member on the Zoom call? No. I'm a member of the community, but. <laughs> because I just want to point <laughs> out how capacity. bad the outreach is. I am the only community member present in this auditorium for the whole meeting. I'm the only person that showed up. Um, and it sounds like I'm going to be the only person speaking, too. Anyway, I did take the survey. I was disappointed to find that only 82 people identified themselves as being disabled who took the survey, even though you say you got 250 responses. But, and, and my answer was long. Um, I'm glad you printed them all. But you can only answer a question that's actually asked. Now, do you, any of you know how many residential disabled parking zones you have in the city? I'm not surprised. I have no idea either. Um, I haven't needed one until I was hit by a car several years ago. I've had seven spinal fusion surgeries. Um, and I was on the losing side of the Grand Street bike lane plan. 
I am on the side of the street that is getting the bike lane, so that is going to remove my parking space. So, on December 19, 2022, I applied, according to the Alameda Public Works website for the, the RDPZ, the Residential Disabled Parking Zone, in front of my house. So I wouldn't lose that parking space. That was December 19, 2022. It's December 13, 2023. I haven't heard anything except a few weeks ago, I got four copies of the generic letter that will be mailed out to the people in my area. But that only happened a few weeks ago. I haven't heard anything about it since. I tried looking up other cities like Oakland. Oakland's website for applying for one of these city permits in front of your house because you're disabled says, well, we apologize, it might take up to four months to get your spot, up to four months. At this point, Alameda's not gonna have it done in a year. I think if it's going to take a year, you need to put that in writing on your website so that anybody who else who might need one or want one knows that it's gonna take a very long time. A um, Few other things I wanted to mention. There are places in the city that have doors with an opener, but they're not always turned on. One of the big problems for me is City Hall West because they only have one, one side of the building has a ramp, the other side doesn't. When there's a meeting in one of those interior rooms at 6.30, they've locked the building up and they've turned off the disabled parking or the disabled door opener. It's been that way for 13 years. I've been going to the Restoration Advisory Board meetings for that long, and I am now the co-chair, and I can't get into the building for my own meeting <laughs> unless there's somebody waiting downstairs to open the door for me. Now, the door on the side with the stairs, that one's open, but I can't access that one, nor can anyone who has a disability who wants to attend the meeting and needs a ramp. Also, some of the Hardest doors to open in this city, like at the Mastic Senior Center, are supposedly operated by one of these push pads, but they don't work. So it'd be good to check on the actual functionality of what's installed from time to time to make sure that it's still working. Um, as far as the ADA coordinator goes, don't feel bad because up and down the state of California, state out, State offices, county offices, I've often called them to find out who their ADA coordinator is when I needed an accommodation. And either people don't know what I'm talking about or their ADA coordinator, I'm told, is only for employees who need a accommodation. So I don't know if you're planning on having two, one for the employee accommodations and one for consumer accommodations. But that's something to remember when you define the job description for the ADA coordinator. And um, it's disappointing that so few of them actually exist because the ADA went into law in 1991. So it's over 30 years that it's been law. It's too bad that not that many cities around here have come up to speed on it. Um, the last thing I just wanna mention is not the Seaplane Lagoon ferry terminal that lacks sleep parking spaces. It's the Seaplane Lagoon Park where they have the big 
um, productions like Radium, that one has zero uh, parking spaces that are blue. Anyway, thank you. Thank you, Speaker Gottstein. And thank you to our speakers and presenters on that last item. And we will move on to our next item, uh, which is a presentation from AC Transit on Realign. And with us tonight is Crystal Wang, AC Trans Transit's uh, transportation planner. So thank you, Crystal. I'm going to pull up your slides. One second. Yes, good evening, Commission members. My name is Crystal Wang, and I'm a transportation planner at AC Transit. And tonight I'm here to present on Realign, which is our initiative to remake our bus network post pandemic. Um, so I'll just be providing an overview of our bus service scenario proposals for our bus routes serving Alameda. Uh, so just really quickly at a glance, AC Transit is the largest public bus-only transit system in California, and we operate bus service in the cities and communities within Alameda and Contra Costa counties as far north as Richmond and as far south as Fremont. And a large percentage of our riders are transit dependent, uh, meaning they don't have access to a car to get to where they need to go. So this map shows our network of lines that operates in the city today. Um, the red line is our most frequent service, which is line 51A, and that runs every 12 to 15 minutes um, along Webster, Santa Clara, and Broadway. Um, and the blue routes shown run every 30 to 60 minutes, and then the gray lines, which are a little difficult to see, uh, show our trans-based services or our overnight services, which um, vary in frequency. So what is Realign? Um, the Realign process is a review of our bus network and it's focused on where the routes go, how often they're running, and what days of the week and times of day the buses are operating. And we're doing all of this work for several reasons and chief among them is that the pandemic has really shifted how our riders are moving around. Um, our ridership currently is back up to about 72% of where it was pre-pandemic. Um, and a lot of that recovery has happened on our major routes and also outside of traditional um, peak hour or commute hours. Um, but we're also facing some challenges with our bus operator hiring and retention and with funding and revenue to support our service. So we're basically doing realign to update our service. Uh, so we're now in phase three of a public engagement process. And to date, we have solicited, heard, and incorporated community input on um, essential transit needs and priorities following two phases of public outreach, including also a survey, um, a workshop, and attendance at a bunch of community events all the way from Richmond down to Fremont. Um, the input that we received was key to the development of the draft map scenarios that I'm going to get into more detail about in a moment. Um, and we intend to use any input gathered from you today and from others throughout this process um, to refine our draft service scenarios. And our phase three comment period actually closes tonight. Um, and our board of directors is actually hearing a status update um, on all the input that we've received to date um, tonight at our board meeting. But this isn't going to be the last opportunity for the public to provide comment. Um, and then our staff is going to go back to our board again in late January with a single preferred plan. And that's when the community will have another chance to um, provide feedback. And finally, the goal is to adopt our final plan in spring 2024. And then we're going to roll out a, a huge outreach and engagement um, and communications campaign for our new bus service network. 
that'll start in uh, summer 2024 and we'll have the whole bus network fully implemented by August 2024. Um, all right. So I'm just gonna run through this one really quick. Uh, this past September, our board approved these three guiding principles that were refined based on what we heard from the community. Um, these three principles are equity, reliability, and frequency. And these were used to guide the development of our draft scenarios. And of course, these three principles aren't mutually exclusive. So we have three scenarios that we um, are gonna cover today. Two of them are cost neutral and uh, use the same resources that we have today. And those are the balanced and the frequent scenarios. And then we have an unconstrained scenario that serves as our vision if we were to have additional resources in terms of buses, bus operators, funding, um, additional facilities. So um, the balance scenario pretty much keeps coverage everywhere in our service area as it exists today and expands it in a few places. And we've also thrown in some line realignments that would help to improve reliability of the service or access to um, layover locations and restrooms. And then we have our frequent scenario, which is intended to provide a fast and frequent network with no line running less often than every 30 minutes. So basically all lines in the full network would be running every 30 minutes or better. Um, and many of the routing recommendations from our balance scenario are carried through to this frequent scenario. Um, a key thing to note, however, is that the additional frequency is accomplished by reducing coverage in the network, um, primarily in places where the fewest people are riding. So it's basically a question of priorities and trade-offs. And then finally, we have our unconstrained scenario, which is our visionary scenario, and we're treating it as basically a menu of what's possible if we were to get um, more, more funding and operators. But today, I'm primarily gonna be focusing on the balance and the frequent scenarios. So now I'm just gonna get into some of the key highlights um, of the lines that serve Alameda, but please note we do have a lot more information on our website. Um, there's interactive map, um, individual line profiles and, and just opportunities for you to make comments on very specific um, elements of each plan. So one of the most significant changes to our system is how lines six and 51 work together. So for those who aren't familiar, um, currently line six runs between downtown Oakland and downtown Berkeley, so it doesn't actually go into Alameda. And then line 51A runs from Fruitvale BART through Alameda along Santa Clara, and then up through Oakland along Broadway, all the way to Rockridge BART. And um, line 51A then meets line 51B at Rockridge BART. So then anyone looking to go to the Berkeley Marina or Berkeley Amtrak would need to make a transfer. And what we're proposing is to have a single line 51 that extends all the way to downtown Berkeley um, and then we propose extending line six along University Avenue to Berkeley Amtrak. So what this does is allow for more trips with the one seat ride. So for Alameda residents, this proposal would mean that you're able to get from Alameda into downtown Berkeley without transferring to another bus. And these lines would run every 12 minutes in the balance scenario and then every 10 minutes in our frequent scenario. Um, line 96 currently runs from Alameda Point to the intersection of Fruitville and MacArthur in Oakland. And in both scenarios, um, both the balance and the frequent, line 96 routing would remain unchanged within Alameda. 
but the routing in Oakland would be slightly modified to serve Brooklyn Basin. Um, so it would still serve the Alameda Point area, the Alameda Food Bank, downtown Oakland, and it would run every 30 minutes on both weekdays and weekends. Uh, these are our Trans Bay lines in Alameda that provide service to Salesforce Transit Center in SF. Um, currently, line O goes from Fruitvale BART to Salesforce along Santa Clara. Uh, line OX goes from Bay Farm to Salesforce along High, Encinal, and Park. <clears throat> and line W goes from Broadway and Blanding to Salesforce along High, Otis, Shoreline, and then Webster. Um, and in both scenarios, we're proposing for line OX to be discontinued, but the Bay Farm coverage would still be maintained by um, e extending line W into Bay Farm, um, and parts of line OX, like along Encinal, would still be accessible via line O. So these are lines 20, 21, and 39. Um, in our balanced coverage scenario, there are no changes proposed to these three lines. Um, for those who are not familiar, line 20 currently goes from the Diamond District in Oakland uh, to downtown Oakland, and then within Alameda, it serves Park, South Shore, and Webster. Uh, line 21 currently goes from the Oakland Airport through Bay Farm along Park and then to Fruitvale BART and it terminates in Diamond District. And then line 39 currently doesn't operate in Alameda. It just goes between our East Oakland bus yard and then Skyline High School along um, Fruitvale Avenue. So in our frequent scenario, we're proposing for line 21, which is the Bay Farm line, to be discontinued. And then line 20, which currently serves South Shore Center, would be reconfigured as a crosstown route. So it would be extended into West Alameda along Maine, and then into Bay Farm along Otis and Island, but not all the way to the airport. So under this scenario, only um, line 20 would no longer go along Park Street. And the reason I mentioned line 39 earlier is that under the frequent scenario, we're proposing to extend line 39 into Alameda by going down Park and then ending it at South Shore. So that would operate every 15 minutes and provide a simpler service between Alameda and the Fruitvale Corridor. And finally, this is line 19, which currently runs between downtown Oakland to Fruitvale BART, and then ends at our East Oakland bus yard, um, and that runs every hour currently. And within Alameda, it operates along uh, Marina Village Parkway and Buena Vista Avenue. Uh, in the balance scenario, no changes are proposed to this line, but in the frequent scenario, this line is proposed to be discontinued. And I do want to note that we've heard from city staff and Alameda residents who are concerned about this, and they don't like the proposed elimination of this under the frequent scenario. Um, and we are aware of the importance of having a transit option in the northern waterfront area. Uh, so this is just a summary overview of what the scenarios look like in terms of the number of lines in each frequency category um, for our entire system. Um, and again, I just wanted to note that everything I shared today are just draft proposals. Uh, we'll be making some adjustments, and what we'll be doing is taking any input you provide today um, and combine that with all the other input we've received to date, and then try to balance everything out in developing a single preferred plan to bring back for everyone's thoughts. Um, unfortunately, we only have so many resources available and everything requires trade-offs. Uh, 
So in wrapping up, uh, like I said earlier, tonight was the last day for our phase three public comment period. Uh, we've been reaching out to writers and community members at a bunch of different meetings and events to hear everyone's feedback um, on these draft scenarios. Um, and nothing's been set in stone yet. So we're still gonna be working on consolidating everything into one plan, which we'll bring back to you. Um, this slide just covers the, it's just a summary of all the different events, a number of different events that we have done um, as part of phase three. And this just covers the types of um, methods that we use to gather everyone's feedback. And I think that's it. So thank you so much for uh, your time today and I'm happy to take any comments and questions. Thank you so much. Um, did we have public comment on this item? No, okay. Um, could I ask a clarifying question? Is that okay? Um, I just wanted to clarify that in the realigned plan, there's no service to the Main Street or the Seaplane Lagoon Ferry Terminals. Correct. And there's no service to Oakland Airport. Correct, as but, proposed right now. The, right. Um, under the balanced scenario, line 21 would remain as is, and so that one would still have Oakland Airport service. Okay, and then there is service to Fruitvale BART and to other BART stops, yes. and there is service to Amtrak. Uh, yes, via, yes, via transfer. And there's service to downtown San Francisco? Yes. And there's service to downtown Oakland? Yes. Okay, all right, thank you. Um, and yeah, so do, you want, do we wanna start with this end? Uh, so we'll start with Commissioner Roloff. Thank you. Um, so you're proposing a direct line to the Bart's, uh, the Amtrak station, right? Without transfer. For Alameda, it would require a transfer. Um, for Alameda residents, we're just proposing the line 51, which can get you to downtown Berkeley without a transfer. Okay. And then, um, I don't know, maybe Sarah, this is a question for both of you, but with the estuary um, ferries coming, what's the plan to incorporate transit with that? I saw some Brooklyn Basin stuff, but I didn't mm -hmm. know if it was a reflection of that. Are you referring to the, the water shuttle? Yes, okay, right. Yes, um, so the city did mention that to us before, and we just said um, basically our buses can help bring people to that service, and ultimately if the city sees that that's a, um, a trip that there's a lot of demand for, we can talk about maybe coming up with the kind of line that provides that kind of service. So on the other side, it, is it, it goes to Brooklyn Basin? Is that the estuary shuttle? Are you familiar it with that? It goes really right across to Jack London Square to an area right on the other side of that. But wouldn't line 19 be the connector in on the Alameda side? Yes, 19 or 96. If so or 96, okay, so but with 19 leaving, that's mm -hmm. gonna reduce the amount of bus traffic to the water shuttle. Yes. Okay, got it. So um, what kind of impact can we have on this conversation today, yes. being that we're at the end of public comment? Yeah, um, we have, like I mentioned, we did hear a lot from Alameda residents who were very alarmed when they saw in the frequent scenario that we're proposing line 19 to go away. Um, and the reason for that was just honestly low productivity and low ridership. Um, it is a little bit of a chicken and an egg problem because the reason it is low ridership and productivity is because it only runs once an hour. It was doing better pre-pandemic, but because of available resources and lack of the op well, it's basically the operator shortage. We just haven't been able to provide as much as um, as much frequency as we'd like to. Um, but 
if you have anything else to add about areas that are we're proposing to eliminate service or changes that we're proposing to make that would affect people here, we would like to hear that. Or key destinations that need to be served that might not be served if we go through with one of these scenarios. Right. Um, I mean, I think my one of my concerns for this commission and just for Alameda in general and so where they align is that if something happens with our tunnels or our bridges and, and buses can't get through, do we have, you know, access to um, the water taxis and um, and whatnot. So just that would be my comment, just to make sure there's there's ways that um, that we can leave the island and that our disabled folks can too. And then my second question is, um, how often do you have major initiatives like Realign? Uh, major initiatives like this happen maybe every five years or so, um, but we do regularly make service changes. Uh, four times per year, and that could just be as simple as shifting trip times a little bit or making minor route adjustments, but something this big just happens um, every five years or so. Okay. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Bonsmith. Thank you so much for that presentation. Um, I, I'm learning a lot about the bus system, so this is very helpful. Um, when I think about uh, your proposed changes. What concerns me is the impact on equity um, and how different types of riders may be able to access or not access buses in the two different plans that you've discussed. Um, and I think kind of looking over some of the comments that people provided with the, the um, previous discussion that we were having about um, how, how Alameda's um, population with disabilities is impacted and um, disadvantaged. Uh, some of the comments really had to do with how far people had to walk in between where they started and where their destination was. And so when I, when I take that information and I think about the bus system, when you talk about decreasing coverage, that's concerning to me. If there's areas where suddenly people who um, maybe cannot you know, self-transport themselves that no longer have bus coverage, I don't know what the alternative for those people are is going to be. So I'm worried about line 19 going away through northern parts of Alameda. Um, is there an alternative for people to access the airport via bus? If we were to go through with the scenario that eliminates line 21, there would not be. But that is a that is the kind of feedback we'd like. Yeah, to I have hear. significant mm -hmm. reservations about that, and then also connecting to our ferry system. Mm -hmm. um, has the has the um, different proposals that you've been um, building taken into account the changes with the main ferry terminal in Alameda being closed for the next yeah. I think year or so? Few months. Few months. Few months. Okay. The, the bus didn't go to the main street terminal. It never prior. went there. Oh, well, mm -hmm. I wish it did. Yeah. Um, and service to seaplane I think is going to be important, so people can access. As you said, if, if the tunnel is closed, the bridges are closed, people need a way to get off the island. Um, I think that's all of my questions. Thank you. Commissioner Schmidt. Thank you. Um, I will start by saying I have zero sense of direction. Uh -huh. So I am impressed that you are able to like look up and think of a bus number yeah. and just like unbelievably impressive to me. I can barely get out of my driveway, so thank you. <laughs> and your explanations helped me understand what was in front of me because I can't even read a map. But um, my concerns are the same as everybody else, which is getting people to the main 
areas. The airport, that's mind-boggling to me why you would take that away. Um, as you said, for a lot of people, I mean, obviously our committee is focused on people with disabilities, but there are many people who just don't have cars, period, disability or not. So taking away access to get off the island in any way just doesn't seem to make any sense at all, especially because we are building and building and building with no additional um, egress off this island, so we have to find other ways to be able to get off. Um, so that would be my concern, and they touched on all those areas, the airport, the ferries, the water taxis. Commissioner Boogie? Um, I, I think I'm gonna be a little repetitive, um, but I think line 19, the um, ferry and the airport are definitely needs um, for commuters and, and everyone in the city of Alameda. Um, I think that would be um, a disservice if to remove those services currently. And that's, that's all. And Commissioner Hall? Thank you. Um, yeah, um, I understand about line 96 and it only goes every 30 minutes and um, as a volunteer at the food bank, I know a lot of the um, clients use the bus system and they often complain about it. Um, and the fact that they want, again, what everyone else has said, to take away 19, um, and you're saying, what I'm gathering, part of what you're saying is because there's not enough, there wasn't enough need, perhaps, or whatever, but I would hope that, um, that you all would take into consideration that um, because during COVID, everything changed, and there is so much growth still going on now at Alameda Point that we are going to continue, if not more, need more bus lines. So taking away 19 is, is, would just be tragic because as it is, 96 only goes every 30 minutes and that often is, is you know, kind of hard for people to wait and they're like, and they're frustrated. And um, if anything, we need more down there. Um, <clears throat> and of course, to the airport too, I know a lot of people depend on that they take the transit to get to the airport if they don't drive and so um but i would definitely want them to consider more for the alameda point and the fact that it is going to be growing and so there should be a need for it and that i, I think that the ridership would show that and i guess i sh just wanted to add we have been talking with city staff and staff from the um, alameda transportation management association about these exact needs for the 19 and 96. I'm old school. I remember the 58. Yeah. And I used to take that all the way to Berkeley uh -huh. from Alameda all the way through to Berkeley. It was the 51 or the 58 back in the day. Yeah. Commissioner Mullings. Uh, a lot has already been covered, like great comments and questions. Um, and thank you for the presentation. Super helpful and educational. I guess my only Additional comment would be, um, I'm not. Sure, I understand the concept of trade-offs and realize, you know, it's it's a lot of balancing, a lot of different communities that AC Transit covers, um, and just would ask that, you know, further to the earlier point about, you know, the just the increased burden and difficulty for the distance you need to go to get to a bus stop, or you know, like how close it is to to where um, folks are located in the community. If we could somehow have a vector of that aspect of accessibility and coverage and breadth, balancing out some of the trade-offs for frequency. And, you know, I understand the, the goal of building up ridership and, you know, 
making sure that uh, the you know the buses are coming frequently enough to encourage usage and have that virtuous cycle but i just don't want it to be all or nothing in you know at the expense of making it so we have whole swaths of the island that are just you know basically not serviced by ac transit and you know just to probably state the obvious and reinforce it you know to remove 19 and i think you called it about what did you say that the northern the waterfront i've never thought about it like that but you know, I, I just I see a lot of a lot more housing being built along there, and it just seems like counterintuitive to be removing a bus line at that at that point in particular. Plus everything the other folks have mentioned. So thanks for the presentation. Can I ask one more question? Of course. Um, do you know why there is there are less drivers operators? I mean, what do they have any concept reason why you you guys have less people want to be driving? Uh, there's kind of a lot. Um, first, we had a lot of people retire. Um, and then also it's just a competitive market out there with people like FedEx, Amazon taking drivers. Um, I've heard recently that we, that operators will come through our training program, um, finish our training program, get ready to drive, and then SF Muni will poach them and say we'll pay you a dollar or two extra. <laughs> I've heard that, um, and so that happens. And it's also it's just a it's a tough job. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. true. Mm -hmm. It's just a hard market period to hire. Mm -hmm. It's a challenge post pandemic. Mm -hmm. Is it to be in, is it even post pandemic yet? <laughs> um, but in this post pandemic, the hiring is just oh my gosh, very mm -hmm. difficult in any job. Um, and I just have one last yeah. comment of appreciation um, at, at your slides about your public outreach. Oh, yes. It's mm -hmm. kind of inspiring how much work and effort has been put into that to elicit public opinion. So good job on that. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I should add, we got, I think it was 15,700 survey respondents, and uh, a lot of that came from Alameda and also uh, Mastic. Because it was a while back when you guys did Yeah, this. we did a yeah. whole three oh, months. It was three months, years, so it was yeah. a lot of yeah. effort. But um, thank you to the city. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But thank you to the city and to um, everyone at Mastic for helping us fill yeah. out that survey. Yeah. Thank you so much for your presentation, Crystal. Okay. Our next agenda item is to set the 2024 Commission on Persons with Disabilities meeting dates. Um, and I put in the packet, um, I don't know if you have it in front of you, but I can read them out, some of the, the proposed dates of if we were to continue to meet on the second Wednesday of the month at 6.30, and then some possible alternatives if there were conflicts. And so I just wanted to go through these. I can note if there are, if we can decide on a, uh, each, uh, every other month, if we can decide on a meeting now, we can publish the calendar. Um, or I can note conflicts and I can come back with a proposal um, to, to the commission. Um, but I'll start with February 14th, which is uh, Valentine's Day. Um, and I have a conflict. It is not a Valentine's conflict. I, I do have a conflict. It's the Alameda County Conference of Mayors. And our city is hosting the Conference of Mayors that evening um, on Valentine's Day. And so I... Um, but I could find an, a substitute for myself, um, or um, if other folks might be busy on Valentine's Day too, we could do the 7th or the 21st, or even January. We could switch February to January. Um, 
which I didn't put I'm on the calendar. Whatever works for everyone. Yeah. Okay. I don't think they're far ahead. If we switch to January, would that be on the seventeenth? It, well, it's uh, it's your uh, pleasure. Um, we could do, I mean, we would have to, I'd have to make sure that there wasn't an existing meeting, but typically um, the second Wednesday of the month is available. And so if we were to do January. Why wouldn't we try to keep it in February to stay? Yeah, we could, yeah, we right. could keep it in February. So we could do January 10th um, as the second Wednesday, or we could keep it in February and move up to the 7th or down to the 21st. Want to stay in the every other month, so we would want technically we'd want to try to stay in February, right? I'm also fine with keeping it on Valentine's Day, but yeah, but you have a conflict. I do, yeah. So the seventh, so the seventh, yeah. So the seventh, seventh, prefer seventh. I won't be able to attend, but no, okay. yeah. But what no, well, I mean, what about the 21st? 21st? I have to change a work conflict. Okay. Yeah. But we should do what works with the group, and I can always try to change my schedule. The 7th, I'll, I'll be out of town, so I may be able to call in by Zoom for that one. Okay. Do, would, so should we do the 7th? And then again, and, you know, if we don't have a, you know, I mean, I'm sure we'll probably have a quorum, and we have Commissioner Beeler, who is also not here. So, okay. So we'll go with the 7th. Okay. Um, all right, and then April, we have April 10th, uh, which is perfectly fine, or the 3rd or the 17th if there was a conflict. Stick with the 10th. Amanda said I can't think that far ahead, so that sounds good. Yeah, all these look fine to me. Okay. Um, and we can adjust at a later time, too, and I just need to re repost and re-update the calendar. Uh, June 12th, um, a, or we have June 5th or June 19th. My, my preference would be the 5th or the 19th. Either of those would work better than the 12th for me. The 5th would also work better for me. I like the 5th also. Fifth, yeah. Okay. June 5th. So going with the 5th. And then in August, we have August 14 as the regular date, or we could do the 7th or the 21st. I'm sorry, so June was the 5th? June 5th. Okay, and then August, I'm sorry. So August 14 is the second Wednesday, so we can stick with that date if that works for everybody, or the two alternatives would be the 7th or the 21st. Stick with the 14th? Okay. And then October 9 is the second Wednesday or the second or the 16th? No conflict? All right. October 9, and then we have December 11th, which if there's no conflict, we can stick with that. Okay, great. Wonderful. So then that concludes. Commissioner Mullings, was that all fine with you? All fine with me. Okay. You did great. not hit my vacation. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All good. Wonderful. Uh, okay. So with that, we will close that agenda item. And the next item is ca uh, commission communications. Uh, anything that any of the commissioners want to share with the rest of the commission and the public? Our Commissioner Hall. Um, as Sarah passed around, the, um, the warming shelter is opening up for... Um, on Friday, December 15th at um, Christ Church, and we are um, doing an outreach among the 
this um, among the city, um, just let, letting people be aware. Um, we've, we've posted signs at Massive Senior Center and the Food Bank and the Village of Love, and um, it's not going to be 24-7 like last year. It's going to be just at night, but during the day, the, um, there will be opportunity for the clients to go to the Village of Love. They're going to the city and the village is working with us to have a trailer there so these clients can go and be in from the shelter if it's raining and whatnot during the day um, we the volunteer side of it is going to be run by episcopal community services which is wonderful and they've done many other um, shelters um, in san francisco and around the bay area so they're very well uh, equipped um, and the guests are getting hot meals and breakfast, and as always, our, we put the outreach online um, for dinners and breakfasts, and the whole community has stepped up that we are almost all filled up on all the dinners and breakfasts for the, for the clients. Um, and we've added two other churches that are going to do it. Um, help in uh, St. Joseph is going to do it for a couple weeks in G December through January and then Twin Towers is also going to do it a couple weeks in February and March so trying to get more of the um, the community involved and hopefully more as we go forward that the city will also be helping more in um, with financial um, help um, going forward so that's, that's a good thing for now thank you so much any other commission Updates? Okay. I had a question oh, about, yes. you said the uh, minutes, there were no minutes. Was no. Did we ever have the minutes from August? No, it's my fault. I have not uploaded them. I apologize. But you will get all the minutes at the next meeting, I promise. And I apologize okay. and for that. And then you said you did have the printout, the accessible printout? Oh, yes. I have yours. I gave it to everybody you else, but I have yours in my office. I wasn't yes. here, but you yes. have the one for yes. me. Yes, I do. Okay, great. Great. You're welcome. Um, and then the next item is staff communications. I was just going to ask everybody to have a great holiday um, and that it's my pleasure to support this group. I was talking with Commissioner Hall before this meeting and we were talking about having a, a session and maybe we could do this in um, January if we, if we could take that January 10th date um, where we could get together and just talk about the year, talk about what our priorities would be, talk about how, are we, how we set the agendas, that kind of thing, um, and then also discuss ways to get the word out about the commission um, back before the pandemic which is really before I joined the or as staff of the commission but the commission would go out and they would staff you know the art and wine fair and things like that and really do more in terms of that very visible public outreach and so it'd be great to find ways to do that again it's been many years and so um, but but I'd love to help staff you and um, and I think it could be really fun so do you, can we pencil in January 10th and maybe we have a strategy session in one of the conference rooms here and I can notice it? Yeah. Okay. Same time work, 6.30? Mm -hmm. And if it, if it doesn't work later, we can always go back, especially I'll check with Commissioner Bueller as well. Okay. Great. All right. That uh, is that. I think we're officially adjourned. Commissioner Mullings, do you want to do it? or? <laughs> Thing. I'm oh, yeah, sorry. Make a motion to adjourn? Oh. I don't remember. Wait, wait one second. Commissioner Hall. Sorry, Sarah, you know me. I always have one more thing. Yes, one more um, thing. I did want to, again, I, one of the things, well, maybe we'll, we'll discuss that at our, our little conference, but I did want to, um, to encourage everyone when the, um, the ADA conferences come up every year 
that going forward, um, I was the only one that attended this time, and I understand most people work, and so it's hard to um, attend. But in the past, we would often have two or three members, and perhaps a, the city liaison person would attend this meeting, the, the conferences, and they're, they're generally two days. And it's such a valuable information that I hope you consider next year, you know, trying to go. Uh, the city will pay for the attendance, and so it's, it's mainly a matter of, of taking time off of work, which I know everybody can't do, but it's, it's invaluable information, that's, it's especially in, in what we do. Is it always in August? Um, usually, yeah. Oh, okay. um, the last few years, it was twice it's been in San Francisco. Um, one year it was in Oakland. This last year it was, uh, it was in Arizona, obviously. Okay. So, you know, didn't want to go to their 100 degree weather. So that's why I did it on Zoom. Okay. But um, yeah, so it's, it's often, this is the Pacific ADA. So it encompasses Nevada, Oregon, California, Washington. So um, it's usually uh, often in San Francisco, which okay. is nice. Mm -hmm. And um, Crystal, with our AC Transit, left these holiday buses that I will be passing around Aww. to each of you. So oh, yes, cool. so, it's a little gift. Um, Commissioner Mullings, yes, make a motion. Go for it. Uh, make a motion to adjourn. Anybody, Anybody want to se second? Second? <laughs> I second that. Commissioner Schmitz seconded. All right, we are officially adjourned. Thank you so much. Have a happy holidays, and uh, see you next year. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.